I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The Athletic. Football Show, European edition. Today, Xavi quits. We talk the crisis in Catalonia and who Barca will choose for their after Xavi. Also, Klopp stop, the Deutsche Reaktion, Bayern back in title race, countdown to Il Derby d'Italia into Juventus. Can it live up to Lazio Napoli? And drawing with breast leaves Luis Enrique red faced like a schoolboy at a gallery. It's all in the Totally Football Show. It's Tuesday the 30th of January, and you're tuned to the sweet sound of the Totally Football Show European edition with James Horncastle. Hello, James. Hi, James. Alvaro Romeo. Hola, James. Hola, Alvaro. And Julian Laurent. Bonjour. No, Rafa. No, Rafa today. No, Rafa yet, because he's, he's in the airport right now. Okay, he's going to appear later. Yeah, we'll be speaking to him very, very shortly. He's on his way to Austria. Alvaro, oh. do you have a good weekend? A very good weekend, yeah. A quiet one, and then quiet uh, one. I was working on Monday interviewing Andoni Raola. Nice. Yeah. Nice. What was he nice? A very nice character, uh, loving the experience in the UK. Mm. Mm, a family man. He didn't want to come to the country without uh, making sure that everything was set for his kids, school, and all right. that. And uh, yeah, he. I also learned that he's a very big fan of American football. American football. Yes, because ah. he spent a lot of time, well, a couple of years in the United States, and he became a fan. Yeah. And I think that he is a man suited for the world of management completely. He in the NFL. In the NFL. <laughs> 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 that would be funny. Even though he knows a lot, you would be surprised, really. Mm. He, uh, he was asked about the Super Bowl final and all yeah. that, and he helped uh, previewing the game. But yeah, generally speaking, a really nice guy. I was talking to him 30 minutes after the interview. And, um, Did you speak in Basque or in Spanish? No, in Spanish. Spanish. In Spanish. Yeah, my Basque is not so good anymore. Oh. And, you know, I, I found him a very, very interesting character. Yeah, probably Excellent. I confirmed my expectations about him. All right. No question. You had the busiest weekend. Blowing up in our mentions. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. James, you're well? Yeah, very good. Still intact. Still intact. <laughs> Jules? Just about. All good. Great. Yeah. Thank you very much. All right. Nice, nice. Um, hey, moments of the weekend. Now, Rafa's done one already, and we'll hear wow. that later on. Okay. But Jules, how about you? I think, James, a lot, a lot of things happened this weekend. Uh, I think we'll stay where they happened. Yeah. But otherwise... How much football did you watch this weekend? <laughs> to be fair, Jules... <laughs> to be fair... Yeah, to no. be fair. Yeah, you yeah. watched more, your yeah. handball final. That's going to be the... <laughs> yeah. uh, that, that was that goal in the semi-finals. Ah, so the free kick. Oh, the free kick. This. Prondi. The yeah. free kick. Oh, yeah. Listen to those two experts in handball, because handball is big in Spain too, like yeah. in France and like okay, in Germany. Okay, so we watched the handball semi-final. Yeah. yeah. France against I forget who. It was. <laughs> Sweden. 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 The yeah. Swedish keeper. Yeah. By the way, he plays for PSG. <laughs> Palinkovic. 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 Palinkovic, my man. Yeah. Paliska, my man. Yeah. Anyway, uh, sorry. Right. So, what's your moment of the week, Jules? It could have been Pondy's shot in the semi-final, uh, but it's not. Uh, and what happened in Zermatt obviously stays in Zermatt. So I will go for Andre Ayew. Remember him? Yes. 
Swansea legend, West Ham not so much legend, who scored a, another head kick, like a kind of a fake one. You know, it's not one, it's not a Garnacho type of overhead right. kick because one of his legs is still on the floor, but yep. the, he still hit the ball backwards over okay. his head and over the keeper to make it 3-3 in a very thrilling Lorient v. Le Havre game. Okay, quiet weekend in, in France then. James, your <laughs> moment of the weekend? <laughs> I mean, you mentioned it in your intro, James. Did I? Lazio, Napoli. <laughs> Thriller. <laughs> Was it the shot on target? <laughs> yeah. one. Which, which happened in the 75th minute, I think. Yeah, a great advert for Serie A. Uh, Serie A is back. Walter Mazzari, the Napoli coach, back after 10 years. Um, do you know those, I suppose if you're watching a National Geographic documentary where they show like the ages of time, you know, like the kind of Jurassic period, oh, yeah. Paleolithic period mm. and that sort of thing. I think his approach to this game was to do that but like go backwards <laughs> so it was to like add another defender add another defender <laughs> add another defender is there a libero come on it's just like so started with a back three which became a four became a five became a six became a seven um and it got was a point. yeah that i mean last season we recorded napoli possibly the most exciting team to watch oh. In yeah. Europe? Yeah. And it's extraordinary. I mean, you have to salute their ability to <laughs> transform into quite the dullest. Yeah, the regression is... I, they, they, I think they haven't scored in something like seven of their last ten games or mm. something like that. It's remarkable. I mean, I know Ozymen is uh, away in the African Cup of Nations, but even when he was... Force. Exactly, even when he was injured this season, and particularly last, Raspadori would score, Simeone would score. Um, Kavara. So, yeah, and they've just been signing players who were going to get relegated with Verona, mm. um, Nonge and Dendonk, yeah. um, who's obviously not come from Verona, but there you go. Alvaro? Yeah, my one comes from Monday. Because okay. it happened uh, during Getafe, Granada. Do you remember Borja Mayoral? Of he course. played for Roma. Yeah. He was good for a season. He scored about 16 goals, 17 in one season in all competitions with Roma. Yeah. Until Jose Mourinho arrived and then he didn't want him there. Bodo Glimt. He was one of the Bodo Glimt boys. Served, after that's the, right, yeah. The, yeah. yeah, but uh, he has rediscovered his best form in Spain. And um, we have spoken about uh, Jude Bellingham for obvious reasons. Arten Dobic as well. Both uh, joint top scorers of La Liga. But there is more merit in Borja Mayoral scoring the same amount of goals because with his goal against Granada, he's got 14 uh, under his belt as well because Getafe is 10th in La Liga. Mm. And um, Borja Mayoral just going to the top scoring list, the top in the um, charts with uh, wow. players of that quality is quite something because especially he does it for Getafe and he has scored the 50% of the goals of the team. And Mason Greenwood also scored in that game, by the way. Controversies, Mason Greenwood. By the way, you were talking about uh, Andre Ayew's overhead mm -hmm. kick or semi-overhead yeah. kick. Have you seen from Serie C, uh, Girone A, if memory serves, the incredible Michael Liguri? When you said Girone, and I was like, Girona. <laughs> <laughs> no, so this no, guy... I haven't he seen this. No, so he plays for Padova. Okay. And this weekend, they were away at Novara, and he scores. It's... Just one of them. You're looking for an heir to the Qualiarella throne for overhead kicks. Yeah. This is the guy, wow. Luguri. Yeah. I'm Michael Luguri, I think he's about 25, 26, plays in Serie C, which is kind of their Liga Pro, what, that's their division yeah. kind of thing, yeah. And he's, he's done a couple of, he had one in the derby with Triestina back in December. I had not come across this guy, but someone flagged him up. Yeah. You go back, look, check out the one this weekend, Alvaro, you're Alvaro doing this right looking? now, aren't you? Are you looking? Padova at Novara, so Novara, Padova. And it was a 3-0 win, and his goal, boom. Oh, he's good. He's on my favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is, this is not a head kick, though. We agree. 
It's that a is an overhead kick. That's a scissor kick. It's a sforbiciata. Yeah, because he's on his over side. His head. No, he's That's on the over side. his head. No. Let's check out the replay, yeah. Jules, yeah, my man. Okay, there he is celebrating. Yeah. Look, okay. It's on his Boom. Side. It's on his it's, side. No, it's, it's not. All right. Listen, I invite you to kick. check it out. It's from the Novara Padova Look game at where his body's positioned. Anyway, it's 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 just it's remarkable. Sexy as heck. Mm. Also, because the ball drops from like a similar height to, let's say, Zidane's volley against Leverkusen. Oh, right? yeah, nice. So you are just watching the ball for about one and a half seconds, maybe. Mm. Like the Cristiano one, which, yeah. is, which is, I think, in recent years, the one. Really? More than yeah. Bale? Yeah, I think Bale shins it. Cristiano oh, is just so perfect. Aesthetically, Cristiano yeah. is better, right? Is and what is called like overhead because the ball goes up, but also your legs... The motion of your legs, one goes up and then you hit, you hit right. the one above, over your head, yeah. which, which is not what Bale does, for example. Bale just throws his left leg up and the ball goes back him yeah. backwards, if you see what I mean. Uh-huh. Well, with the Cristiano one, is the, and the ball is so high, yes. so quick. Yeah. G- James is right on this one. It's a beautiful, beautiful goal, but yeah. he has the time to see the ball. Nobody is marking him. Mm. And he's not even with the goal to his back. Yeah. So Maybe saying though, that's the kind of thing. Even in City of Chi, that's the kind yeah, of talent you no, that's incredible. <laughs> so rich in goal scoring. <laughs> Spalletti, call him up. Yeah. On, on bicycle kicks, maybe yeah. Cristiano's one is the nicest, but oh. the most difficult for me. There is no debate here. It's a Zlatan Ibrahimovic against one. England. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah that's in a, terms of difficulty and the right. power he had to put on the ball, that was incredible. I mean, we could just now introduce Quadriere yeah. and his body of yeah, work. True. But, very uh, true. Yeah. Anyway, right. let's uh, let's move on. Let's move on. Hey, Alvaro, you're up first with La Liga. Let's go. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Gonzalo Guedes y Sorlos para volverlos locos a todos. Sigue Guedes, llega solo Morales, controla, punto de penalti. Gol, 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 Said the manager emerging after some hours of discussion post the Catalans' 5-3 defeat at home this weekend to Villarreal. The first time ever, I believe, in more than 60 years that they've conceded five goals at home. A disastrous game, a disastrous start to the year. And so he's going to leave at the end of the season. He's going to leave at the end of the season, if not earlier, because you really? never know. You never know if the results keep on being like this. Uh, Barcelona has conceded 19 goals in January. One nine. <laughs> so they got beaten 4-1 by Real in the Super Cup final. Yeah. They got beaten 4-2 by your friends Athletic in the Copa del Rey. Now this 5-3 previously. They're 11 points behind Girona, who beat them 4-2. They play in Serie C. And even that. Everything, everything's done. There's nothing left to play for? Uh, the Champions League. Obviously. Of course the Champions yeah. League. Well, they're playing Napoli. So. Great game, yeah. They're playing. Uh, you, you cannot count on... I mean, you can't... You can think that Barcelona has a chance against Napoli because Napoli are where they are. Mm. But then, as soon as a difficult draw comes for Barcelona, I don't think they'll be up to the challenge, really, because they collapse in every game. Um, they don't control the game. They mm. don't control it. But uh, sometimes not controlling the game is something that teams are happy with. Mm. Uh, I can think of Atletico or Real Madrid at times. They are not in control of the possession, but they know what they are doing, and their box is very safe. They control mm. the space. Uh, they control it, yeah. They, maybe not in the way you would define controlling you know the game but mm. they do it because they don't lose the plot but Barcelona does and against Villarreal when they scored the 3-2 
So they went. So Villarreal went two 0 up, and then Barcelona had eleven minutes when they scored three yeah. three goals, and then at the end they just fell apart. They fell apart. Uh, Gonzalo Guedes scoring his first goal for Villarreal, then um, Sorloth, Morales they scored the fourth and the fifth. Uh, maybe not in that order, but I I think that Barcelona's collapse was clear. And uh, you know the game gave us a hint of what was going to happen afterwards because. Um, when the game was 3 all and uh, Gundogan produced a shot in the box, uh, the referee called penalty because a Villarreal defender touched the ball with his elbow, but his elbow was basically pasted, glued to his ribs. And uh, the referee went to the VAR video and uh, he turned down his decision mm. and um, he said that that was not penalty. Right after that, Xavi started shouting at the camera, this is a real embarrassment, this is a disgrace, a few oh. times. So Xavi was not himself. At all. And, uh, he looked is... like Maradona in uh, 1994 yeah. when he oh, kind of found, yeah, the, the, eyes, the, found the camera. Yeah. Yeah. But Maradona did it after scoring. Yeah. And after other things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Xavi, you know, uh, little by little, gradually, he's been... Pocha. I mean, I feel bad. I know that we've yeah, you said really football's sad. boring, but he joined the club when he was 11? Yeah, and he's been he was seventeen years in the first team. Come back, won them the league last season. When we all remember how they've yeah. been with the Dutch guy, yeah. and signed a new yeah, contract so in September. Yeah, he had a new deal in September. Can you imagine between September and January from committing your future to the club and then deciding to leave? Things that must have gone really, really bad in the space of four months. Is it is it to do with Deco, the sporting director? It's got to do with a number of things. Uh, number one, being the Barcelona manager this time is difficult because. Um, Sometimes we take as normal things that have happened in the previous summers. For example, Xavi calling Gundogan on the phone to tell him to join Barcelona. Xavi calling Bernardo Silva or pretending to call him, not knowing whether they could sign that player or not. Because Barcelona has these financial issues. Has these financial issues and Xavi knows about them. And uh, he has lost allies in the club. Jordi Cruyff left. Matteo Alemani, a great sporting director, uh, left as well. Then Deco apparently is not the kind of guy that Xavi has a great uh, relationship with, uh, with right now. So little by little, he's been feeling more and more lonely and isolated. And I know that his brother is his assistant coach. But still, there is a lot to take on. Um, it looks like Xavi is not comfortable, comfortable in a, a conflict situation. Uh, you can see some other managers just profiting from it. Uh, Simeone, Mourinho, they know how to communicate in these kind of situations, how to deal with this. Xavi hasn't been able the results uh, weren't going his way, that's for sure, especially this season. Then there was a turning point, in my opinion, this season as well. After losing against Girona, Xavi decided not to take uh, a few important players to the game against Antwerp in the Champions League. And Joan Laporta told him that oh, yeah. he had to bring those big players to that game in Belgium. Mm. So that undermines... Which they lost. Uh, yeah, they lost. already qualified and top they, in the group. Yeah, yeah but uh, for example... That undermines Xavi's authority yeah. completely. And that was a, a point of no return. Ever since then, Barcelona has been losing games. I think that uh, the players have a lot of responsibility as mm. well. But Xavi, the manager, as well. Because it's, it's a good squad. I mean, it, they're currently fourth now behind Atletico on, on goal difference. But I mean, they have good players. I mean, you look at some of the goal-scoring talent they've got. Gundogan, you mentioned Lewandowski. João yeah. Felix coming in. Uh, but João Felix, Lamar. I think emphasizes a lot of what we're talking about. This okay. is Deco's choice. It's mm -hmm. not Xavi's choice. And okay. Alvaro had said many times before he joined that Xavi didn't want him there. And yeah, he started well and at times he's got a good moment because he's a very good player. That's not the problem here. And I think a lot of people underestimate the relationship between 
a sporting director and a coach or even a, a president or an owner, whatever, a sporting director and a manager. And we talked a lot and it sounds a bit of a cliche that sporting director and manager have to be on the same page. If they're not, there's trouble ahead. And we've seen it many, many times happen. And it's exactly the case here. Whether it's enough for Xavi to quit, I'm not sure really. But if you get don't get on with your sporting director, but it's a bit the same in any job. If you don't mm. get on with your boss, there's a point where you think like, well, I'm not having that anymore. Exactly. That's why we're so lucky with producer Charlie. Yeah. The <laughs> <laughs> thing with Xavi is that I, I do believe that he's very dogmatic and he believes that his way is the way. Mm. Uh, he was like that as a player mm -hmm. and he, he's like this as a manager as well. Um, I don't think that he's taking on criticism very well. That's number one. Then his communicative skills are not perfect. I think that he's got some problems with that. His messages are contradictory. Um, I don't think that his message is enriching the players the right way. He's not a great motivator. So there are a number of things that they are under Xavi's belt and you have to put them to, to him. And then, uh, you know, Joan Laporta, even though he loved Xavi as a person and uh, he really likes Xavi as a footballer, I think that he was never too convinced about uh, Xavi as the manager because and it took him a lot of time to sign him when it was clear that Ronald Koeman was not the right manager for Barcelona because Laporta had his doubts. Mm. Then he extended his contract because, yes, Xavi won the league. But uh, as soon as the results weren't good, uh, he started just taking part in Xavi's decisions. Uh, the list against Antwerp was uh, the ultimate uh, example of that. And I think that the situation after that uh, got, uh, went from bad to worse. Okay, this is a club with... Massive pressure, massive expectations, a massively mortgaged future, financially speaking. Yeah, yeah. Who are they likely to be able to get? Who do you think they're looking to get in? Um, well, the most obvious replacement, if it's going to be... If it was tomorrow, let's say that Xavi loses the next uh, four games, uh, it would be Rafa Marquez, because he's there. He's mm. at Barcelona B. He's at the academy. And Rafa Marquez, uh, clumsily, in uh, my opinion, he replied on Saturday after getting to know that Xavi was going to leave at the end of the season, uh, he said literally, if I get my chance, I won't say no. I think that maybe he would have... Nice. He, Threw his hat in the ring. Yeah, yeah. He yeah, could have nice. been a little bit more respectful or, uh, mm. you know, a caring with, uh, with Xavi. Then Thiago Mota, who has Siding said... Siding up that, to the widow at the... Uh, yeah. A little bit like that, mm. yeah. Thiago Mota, he's a manager of Bologna, good friends with Deco. Uh, Deco would like Thiago Mota as well to be one of the candidates, but Thiago Mota, he said that he, he was fine where he is, uh, which is a normal thing to say in these circumstances. And uh, then uh, it will depend a lot on, uh, number one, who Laporta decides to, to replace uh, Xavi with, because I think that Deco uh, has a big call in here. Uh, Laporta has been a president, at least in his first stint, uh, that didn't change the manager unless it was totally necessary. He got only two, Guardiola and Frank Rijkaard, right. in seven years, okay. which is, which is fine. And one of the managers. Yeah. And there's no well, money either. Yeah. Yeah, but there is no money, and this is very important. Everything we say about Barcelona cannot be devoid of that context. Mm. Today I was reading in um, Relevo, which is a Spanish uh, a sport newspaper, and a very good one, by the way, that um, if Barcelona sacked Xavi today, they would have only 2.7 million to appoint a new coach and uh, 2.7 million to use on the coach and the coaching staff. Right. Uh, that's not a lot of money. A okay. top manager doesn't accept uh, Give such us a an little salary. And someone like, I don't know, could, could we put a figure on what someone like a Mota and his coaching staff would cost? Well, clearly more than 2.7 million. Yeah, massively. Yeah, 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 yeah so, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It would expect a But, but the, the context is important again because 
these are Barcelona's financial issues, mm. and then there is La Liga Cup, La Liga Salary Cup. Mm. Some other leagues, they don't have this. Mm. But in La Liga, you have to abide to this, because Javier Tebas wants it this way. So Barcelona, basically, if they want to sack Xavi now, if they wanted, and I think that Laporta would like to, if it wasn't for the financial difficulties and the financial compromise that this would uh, mean for Barcelona, he would have done it. But Barcelona cannot do it right now. So Xavi has to stay until the end of the season, despite him having said that he doesn't have the energy to continue another season. Wow. Why does he have the energy to continue now and not for another season? Really, and La Joan Laporta has made this decision knowing that there is a manager who is jaded, who is tired, who has been eaten and devoured by the whole situation, and yet he's going to stay because Barcelona cannot sack him. They don't have the money for that. Unless, presumably, if Rafa Marquez steps up from B, that wouldn't involve the same kind of uh, financial uh, input yeah. because he's already on the books to yeah. some extent. But Rafa Marquez is not covering himself in glory either no. in Barcelona B. Uh, he's the not seventh, doing anything extraordinary. He's oh, not doing it. And yeah, could be seventh. a total meltdown in Catalonia. That's what you're saying over the last few months of the season. And for a club like Athletic, only... Two points, is it, off the Champions League positions? Well, that's the most important thing for Barcelona. Yeah, qualifying for the Champions League. The right now. And, you, and want, you wonder the impact on, you know, with, you can look at club because it's the same weekend and what, that, that could have a boost massively on the Liverpool players and want to finish on a high this season because mm. of, for club, etc., etc. For Xavi, it could be <coughs> the, the other way around. And there was Lewandowski had a big barbecue in his house yesterday and Xavi and the backroom staff didn't go. I don't know if they were not invited or if they were invited and they felt like, let the players be together. It's just like if us, if we were going for a raclette, for example, a raclette somewhere, and you did, <laughs> if, if, if you guys were not there, went skiing, and the jefe, you didn't invite the wasn't there. What kind of impact would that have? Exactly. Yeah. I Look, wouldn't uh, want to be part uh, of that. What kind of meltdown for the rest <laughs> of the season? No, no, From a, that, you know, melt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, exactly. Not, not a big support to Xavi in social media, by the players, by mm. the way. Of course, because he's staying until, on paper, 30th of June, and maybe when he leaves, the players will show respect to, to the man. But uh, only Gabi and Pedri, um, as far as I can recall, have said... Uh, <laughs> have sent a message to, to no. Xavi. So, you know, I'm not saying that he has lost the dressing room because I'm not in the position to say this, but, but uh, I can tell you as well that uh, for some players that uh, have come from really big winning cultures like Gundogan and Lewandowski to arrive in Barcelona and see all this and the mismanagement in coaching and uh, a club that can barely pay salaries and a club that can barely make signings without having to abide La Liga's financial fair play, that has to be really Really, uh, strange to see. So I think the situation is going to be difficult, mainly because Real Madrid is going to keep on winning. Mm. This is something that we have to remember. Barcelona has been always in turmoil, always, over the last 10 years, for many reasons, because uh, Guardiola departed and they, he shouldn't have, because then uh, um, Bartomeu was doing his uh, terrible financial decisions, because Neymar left, yeah. but they were winning when they signed Coutinho, they handed all that glory over to the money and the glory went to Liverpool. Liverpool rise went up. Yeah. Barcelona's down. Who has been the best president in the history of Real Madrid, Alvaro? Is it Santiago Bernabeu? Is it Florentino Pérez? Or is it José Bartomeu? <laughs> That's a good question. I think Bartomeu did a massive uh, favour to, to Real Madrid. That's for sure. Just uh, ruining the legacy that uh, Messi, Neymar and Suárez could have created. But I think that uh, Joan Laporta shouldn't be forgotten here because he's been already three years as a president of Barcelona. He plotted this uh, levers thing that has worked somehow because Barcelona has uh, been has able to create... A, has it a, worked? Yeah, because they created a squad that won them the league. And but look at where they are now. But the man is make top four. Yeah, the, yeah. the thing that he, does, he hasn't done has been 
refinancing the debt. Mm. Barcelona's debt is still 1.3 billion, the same debt that Laporta inherited. He hasn't done enough to right. revert all that. Okay, but Barcelona also in, involved in this legal action over the amount of money that that uh, Barcelona paid to the vice president of the Referees Association. Bartomeu is involved in that, but yeah. Barcelona, uh, but Laporta started all this. Right. You know, you or, uh, he, he, was, he was the one that uh, who was there in the 2000s, in the right. early 2000s. So if they miss out on Champions League, what do you reckon the direction of travel is, Alvaro? We talk about clubs being too big to fail. You look at the finances that Barcelona have got and you think, how is this sustainable? So, yeah, what is the next, what is the worst case scenario if they miss out in the Champions League? I, I would say that partially Barcelona is already a normal company because Goldman Sachs has given them plenty of loans and Barcelona has to repay them. Mm. And uh, They mortgage their TV revenue, which I imagine must be influenced a by... A 25%. Must, be, must, must have Champions League fi- yeah. Yeah. factored in there. So Barcelona is also um, dependent on the investors that have helped the club mm. uh, come out from... Uh, at least uh, slightly from the financial mess they are in. Right. So I would say that Barcelona doesn't work normally, like for example, like a socios team, like a Athletic Club Bilbao does, because Athletic Club Bilbao is a socios club as well. Mm. But uh, we don't have so much dependence on investors who have helped uh, Barcelona uh, to come out from their financial crisis, at least for a little while. So the future for Barcelona looks, uh, of course, challenging. It's a mystery to me what's going to happen. But this model of uh, the socios having an involvement and all that, uh, right now is under heavy scrutiny, definitely, because uh, the club has proven that uh, financially they haven't been able to structure a team that is solid, robust, and all this side they had in 2008 with Begiristain, with Guardiola, uh, with basically all the biggest intellectual talent in football with Ferran Soriano running the finances and all that, is gone. And Joan Laporta hasn't created a structure just to revert the situation. Ferran Reverter was his CEO uh, after he won the elections. He left after a couple of months because he didn't like what he saw. Uh, Matteo Alemani, the best sporting director in Spain, apart from Monchi, left as well. Now they've got Deco. So financial issues, intellectual talent has gone. Mm. And I think the squad is not as good as you say, Jimbo. Uh, okay. With all due respect, mm-hmm. I can think of... So many starts of Barcelona in the past, en Rivaldo, Ronaldinho, eh, Juli, Samuel Eto, that would start tomorrow for Barcelona. Because Joao Félix, Ferran Torres, Lewandowski, who is 35, these are players that are either in a turning point in their career, they can become better, but they have to do it now, tomorrow, Joao Félix, Ferran Torres being those, and Robert Lewandowski is in the twilight of his career. Okay, well, it's looking very delicate then. Just two points ahead of uh, Athletic Club de Bilbao in fifth spot. Elsewhere, Girona stayed top. They beat Rafa Benitez's Silta Vigo 1-0. They're now unbeaten in 14 matches, the leaders. But they're only one point ahead, is it, of Real Madrid, who have that yeah. game in hand? Yeah, they, they are playing their game in hand, Real Madrid, uh, in midweek are they? against Getafe. By the okay. way, Bordalas, Getafe manager, hasn't lost at home since he took over for his second time. Mm. So I don't think that it's going to be easy for um, Real Madrid to travel at the Coliseum. Mm. Big derby, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Atletico Madrid, another Madrid side, they are ahead of Barcelona on goal difference after a 2-0 win over Valencia, getting their revenge on Valencia. 
for that early season talking, defeat. Talking about skills over the overhead kick, oh, did yeah. you see the Memphis Depay? Oh, yeah. The one that obviously didn't score, he scored one, but the one where he flicks the ball over the defender with his heel, yeah. go around and then volleys it. Oh, my. Well, that that game player. was spectacular. Eh? Uh, Memphis one was beautiful. Uh, Suarez did one like this to Benatia, I remember. Uh, one uh, driven like this. But what about uh, Coques pass to Nahuel Molina in Memphis yeah. goal? Yeah. That was astonishing Lovely. as well. What about Camavinga's pass to Vinny wow. for the first Another one. one. Well, because Camavinga is really good. And it's a real yeah. shame that uh, Ancelotti uses him sometimes as a left-back. Because Camavinga in the midfield, he could, uh, I don't know if pull the strings, mm. because he's not this kind of player. But you just have to give him the ball and make sure that... Uh, you know, you rely on him. He lose, sometimes he looks like he's going to lose the ball, but he never loses the ball. And uh, physically, he is uh, capable of reaching everywhere. He's like an octopus, really, just getting the ball from everyone. He's an unbelievable player. But on Atletico de Madrid's game, mm. Antoine Griezmann's pass to Samuel Lino as well, another astonishing pass. Atletico de Madrid has a lot of quality. They have uh, recorded three clean sheets in a row, which is good because they were conceding many goals. Mm. And Inter is looming in the horizon. It is no, indeed. No we'll talk about no. Hmm? No yeah. he's going to be fine for, yeah, for Sunday. He should be fine. We'll talk about Inter very, very shortly because they've got a big weekend ahead of them. Sí. Derby d'Italia with Juventus. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We're sponsored for this episode of the Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to the Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Alvaro, you've got one more thing to say about La Liga. One of the greatest midfielders of La Liga uh, of this century is living, Ivan Rakitic. He won four league titles, uh, multiple titles for Sevilla mm. as well. He was instrumental for Barcelona. He managed to replace Xavi better than anybody else, better than André Gómez, Artur, Arturo Vidal, Paulinho, right. and all the footballers that so came to Barcelona. So he's He's not going to finish the season? He's leaving now to Al-Shabaab in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Ah, right. He's right. Okay. Leaving. You said he replaced Xavi better than anyone. Ooh. Yeah. Could he be the next coach of Barcelona? Okay. No. going to move okay. on from no La Liga comment. now. But, uh, <laughs> right. He's gone to uh, yeah. heading east. Okay. Now, City A. Monday night, 
Top story. Roma won their second straight game yeah. under De Rossi. Yay! 2-1 at uh, Salernitana. Mm-hmm. They're now one point off the top four. Admittedly, it's been an easy start. A couple of relegation strugglers for opponents, but... And they were in Saudi Arabia last week to play Al-Shabaab, Rakitic's new club. Yeah, which they'd organised because their sponsor is Riyadh Season. Um, And, you know, I imagine that uh, this was a condition of it. I imagine that, you know, Jose Mourinho being coach of Roma was probably a condition of it as well. He's no longer. Um, But, yeah, De Rossi, I mean, when they brought him in, Mm. there was some thinking about the timing of the season in that uh, he would have... uh, quite a lot of training sessions. They'd have a soft start, Hellas Verona, Salernitana. Both games kind of mirror images of one another in terms of they go 2-0 up and then they kind of creak a little and uh, their opponents come back into the game. It's quite nervous. But yeah, yeah, they are all of a sudden fifth. Mm. And the only condition of uh, De Rossi's contract was a Champions League bonus. Nothing else. Um, yeah, no automatic extension if he uh, if he does well. Um, and yeah, at the moment they are on course to to qualify uh, for the Champions League. Although Atalanta keep winning as well, all the other teams have a game in hand they against do. them. Yeah, so next five teams. Yeah, Roma next uh, Monday. Monday again for them next week, and they're going to be hosting Cagliari with another former Roma glory. Yeah, Claudio Ranieri. Claudio was Daniele's last coach at Roma. Oh. I was at um, De Rossi's final game, which was also Claudio's final game. Right. And it's the one where Claudio cries right. on the sidelines because of uh, the, because he, he came at a time of need for the club and uh, his people recognised uh, what he'd done for them. It was lovely. That is gorgeous, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And now, uh, as you say, after that, Inter. Inter, we keep mentioning... Because they've got the Derby d'Italia coming up this weekend. Now, it's going to see them hosting Juventus. They're hosting Juventus this mm-hmm. time around. Juve, who come into this game of games off the back of a bit of a slip-up. They'd had seven straight wins. This weekend, they took on a side who were second bottom of the table, Empoli. But the twist was that Empoli have recently appointed... <laughs> the Harry the, Houdini. The Harry Houdini <laughs> of City. Yeah, Davide Nicola, who you remember from his incredible Crotone turnaround and then rescuing Salernitana himself a few seasons back. What does he do? Well, the first game he, he won 3-0 against Monza. was their first victory since November. And this time he went and got a point away in Turin. Baldanzi al limite. Carica al destro. Tiro. Rete splendida di Baldanzi. Che pareggia per l'Empoli. Una rasoiata. So four points from six for Nicola, who... Yeah, he's changed Empoli's style. Empoli have always been a, a club that plays like a 4-4-2 diamond. You know, mm. Sadi, Giampaolo, people like that. He's like, no, let's go three at the back, sure things up. And okay, in Turin against Juventus, they were favoured by the fact that Arcadius Milik got sent off after 15 minutes. So they had a man advantage for more than an hour. They went behind, but they were still plucky enough uh, to get back into the game. They brought on one of the most promising players or shall we say, overhyped young players mm-hmm. in Italian football, which is Tommaso Baldanzi. Baldanzi scored from outside of the area. It's the only way to score against Juventus. Um, I think more than half of the 14 goals that they've conceded this season have come from shots outside the box. So credit to Empoli for pulling themselves out um, or getting closer to getting out of the relegation mire. Um, but for Juve, yeah, it was a blow, uh, James. Uh, Allegri sort of criticised after the game for some of the 
uh, lineup choices that he made, for example, for starting Milik over Yildiz, Yildiz who's been in great form uh, over the last few months. Um, he rested Danilo because Danilo was on a booking and he didn't want to lose Danilo for the Derby d'Italia, which is coming up. Um, and uh, I think they were still without Rabiot and Chiesa. Um, but they would have expected to win that game uh, against Empoli. So, um, so yeah, it allowed Inter mm. to take back the summit of Serie A and still have that game in hand still going into mm. uh, the Derby d'Italia uh, on Sunday. So When do they play Empoli, though? That's the key question. <laughs> well, the thing is, I mean, I suppose uh, with Inter, I mean, Juventus... Empoli have strangely become a bit of a bogey team. And remember, towards the end of last season, Empoli wiped the floor with Juventus. Um, it was on the day when they got their points penalty back. And so Juventus' heads were all over the place. Inter's bogey team tends to be, you know, a Genoa or a Bologna or a Sassuolo. Mm. Um, so, so let's see. But um, Inter... Not as impressive as they've been all season when they went to Florence at the weekend, but they got the job done. Right. Lautaro scoring. Just as Vlaevic had been the scorer for uh, Juventus in their game against Empoli. The two in-form forwards in Serie A mm. clashing then at San Siro this weekend. But by the way, just talking of, of Empoli still, they've got Salernitana, so that's the bottom two face each other next weekend. Pippo yeah. against... Nicola, if you're struggling to place him, he's the guy who looks kind of like uh, Luka Modric's dad. If Luka Modric's dad <laughs> was a kind of grizzled veteran who'd hit hard times, but yeah. spent too much time working in the fields or something. I don't know. They've, they've got the same hair in Zaghi yeah. and Davide Nicola. Mm. Um, and I, I always think it's interesting. These guys have been in charge of teams that are down the bottom. Nicola's been fighting relegation his entire career. So he's gone grey. He looks quite haggard now. Mm. Um, he looks like he'd be carrying a staff in a Lord of the Rings nice. kind of film, something like that. You can trust Pippo Inzaghi with his brother, Simone. Mm. Simone still has jet black hair. Baby face. Baby face. Yeah. Plump cheeks. Pippo now is streaked grey. Pippo's a mess. He's not a mess, but <laughs> his hair is streaked with grey. Yeah. Um, you can tell, you know, he doesn't find management as easy as he did find scoring goals. Yeah. So he's not... It's not as easy to manage Salernitana than it is to manage Inter. Well, he's uh, had the bigger clubs. He was at Milan. No, no, he had his chance. I mean, if you talk about being delegitimized by the <laughs> by the president, that scene where Berlusconi flanks him in the in the dressing room and says, "Pippo, you need to be stronger with your players." Shout at them. So Pippo goes, "Hey, forza ragazzi!" You know? But it's because not like that. Like this, he does it. And he's, no, you go again. No, no, louder, louder. <laughs> bullying on a level that rarely, rarely seen. Yeah, in the same scene. I mean that. That was preceded by Berlusconi, I think, propositioning or asking Suleiman Tari how his wife is. <laughs> because I think uh, Silvio quite liked Mrs. Montari. So, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what a... <laughs> anyway, so that's Salernitana Empoli. But we have the big game in, in, uh, at San Siro. And uh, key for the title? Uh, maybe not key because there's still what there'll be 15 games to go afterwards. Um, but um, as I mentioned, Inter have been able to take back um, the lead in Serie A with a game in hand. If they were to win uh, this or even get kind of a favourable draw, um, they would have the edge on head to head, which is essentially worth an extra point um, as well. So it is big. 
it's probably the biggest debut d'italia since since sari against conte uh when sari came out on top uh in in covid but yeah it's it should be a great game i mean it was the last debut d'italia really kind of caught fire after about 20 minutes uh Juventus took the lead in that and then inter scored replied almost immediately with a wonderful goal um down down the right hand side we we'll have to see if Chiesa's back fit, although even a fit Chiesa, I'm not sure he gets into this side with Yildiz playing as well as he did. Mm. Even when Yildiz came on against Empoli, you were kind of saying, Max, what have you done here? Why didn't you play him earlier? We'll have to see if Inter wear orange again. This was a... Nice. This was a um, Big talking point. It was an yeah. actual question. Yeah. Um, so in Italy, generally at the moment, you have Sinner mania, like right. Yannick Sinner. Even before he, he won the Australian Open... When he reached the the final of the the ATP thing in Turin, again, like every question to an Italian coach mm. or an Italian player was, "Are you Sinner? Are you Jokovic?" and this sort of thing. And this, yeah, you know, on Saturday in Allegri's pre-match press conference, he was asked, you know, who is Sinner and Jokovic out of Inter and Juventus, and he said, "I think we're younger, so we're Sinner." Mm. I'm not going to talk about Inter because they're quite prickly and all this sort of thing. And then after Inter won in Florence, they wore orange. And Simone Inzaghi, legitimate question, did you wear orange uh, to draw inspiration from the red-haired Yannick Sinner? Um, there was a little bit of tongue-in-cheek in there, but it was kind of like, oh, my God. this is It's, it's reached levels that poor Yannick Sinner could never have imagined. Indeed not. So, Who does he yeah. support? Do we know? AC Milan. Oh, there you go. Mentioning uh, AC Milan, they had a two-two draw with Bologna. Thiago Motta's Bologna this weekend. Two goals from Ruben Loftus Cheek. Yeah. Two penalty misses. <laughs> one from Olivia Giroud and one from Theo Hernandez. Yeah. yeah. In First... a weekend that saw five penalties missed in Syria. That's the most because I know you care. The most in a single round of games since 1960. Wow. That's First time a team had missed. Uh, two penalties in the game in a decade. Really? Um, but you mentioned Ruben, Loftus-Cheek. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Ruben's had a fantastic uh, start to the year. Um, can't remember how many goals he scored. But I think it's four or five um, since since Serie came back. Um, and Stefano Pioli, after the game, uh, was talking about him and said, look, I've, I've been fortunate to coach some really good midfielders in my time particularly those who sort of bomb on and start scoring goals. And, yeah, he sort of compared uh, Loftus-Cheek to Milinkovic-Savic, you know, mm. someone who's been Serie A um, midfielder of the year twice, now playing in Saudi Arabia. So, you know, you, you do wonder, uh, ahead of the Euros, does Ruben start to get more of a look in uh, for England? Um, because um, certainly he's playing as though... There's a major tournament coming up. Right. Same way Tamori has been a regular for Southgate yeah. ever since. Exactly. Okay. I was going to say exactly the four, same thing. Four when goals. You in your English. Yeah. yeah but to four be goals to, in four City matches, as you say. To be fair to, to Southgate, he has mm. started calling up and playing Tamori yeah. yeah, this back. season. Yeah. Mm. yeah. yeah. It's better than not playing on that quarter true, month true. at all. So, it depends on Henderson, right? Playing for Ajax or not. Yeah. Ajax legend. No, thank you. Yeah. you Jules, you, a lot of pushback from listeners. When you called Hendo into question, the man with really? the extraordinary Palmares, you know, I think you have to respect <laughs> the, Palmares. the achievements. So yeah, Palmares well, now makes you a good player. Well, I think well, uh, exactly. it's not coincidence if you are involved in that many triumphs. Yeah. And so many triumphs against adversity. How okay. did uh, Henderson get on this weekend? Yeah. How did he get on? <laughs> <laughs> he, he didn't play, right? No? No, no, he didn't play. Didn't play. But great Palmares. Just, yeah, great he Palmares. To, he needs to improve Just before so. playing. There you go. Hey, Jules, I can see you're <laughs> yes. 
to, to tell us all about League 1. So we'll just, you know, part the fact that it's a huge weekend in Serie uh, coming up. Oh, oh, one last thing, James, which was, remember last weekend was marred by the racist abuse uh, from Magic Mike Maignan, Mike. The, um, the Milan goalkeeper. A couple of things happened this weekend in a sort of AC Milan in the 16th minute. His number is number 16. They stopped the play in their game against uh, Bologna and uh, and sort of did something to show their support of, of, uh, of Mania and also that they are anti-racist, anti-racism, anti-discrimination. And then Udinese, um, the mayor of Udine, you might remember, he said, uh, we're going to give Mainyon honorary citizenship. Uh, and then this went before a vote in the town council uh, and the town council voted it down. <laughs> Um, because Udine is not a uh, racist Udine. city, as they were very keen to, to, to point out. And I know this does not necessarily represent Udine or people from Udine. Um, it's more reflective of the politics of the centre-right party that voted this down. But in terms of like um, just a beffa, as they say mm. uh, in Italy, just like um, you know, sort of a face palm moment, um, this is right up there. Yeah. All right. Next up, Ligue 1. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, the Football Content Awards International Podcast of the Year. Ooh, nervous times in Paris, Jules, at PSG's lead cut to just six points. What? After their 2-2 draw with Brest this weekend, what happened, Jules? They were 2-0 up, they were cruising. They were cruising and then they fell asleep. They went for a nap like some of us do, you know, especially after skiing. Uh, (laughs) Maybe the the handball's on. Maybe the handball's on, you know. Uh, So they fell asleep at halftime and just didn't wake up again because the first half without being brilliant, Asensio scored a lovely goal. Uh, Bobby Bacala was good on the left-hand side before he got sent off in the second half. yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and then at halftime everything changed. Brest, to be fair, were a really good team. We said that. It's just you haven't made a joke yet, which I'm a bit worried. 
came back and scored two goals to level the it second one. Tits up for PSG. <laughs> <laughs> I think Horncastle used also that on Sunday night. Did you do that on Sunday night? Yeah, yeah. yeah when we were coming through the airport terminal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he did, and Brest scored a lovely, lovely second goal. Pereira Lage, if you haven't seen it, like a back heel after Statuiano's cross. And they deserved their draw, to be fair. They took their chance. They want to be more aggressive. They won all the second balls. And PSG could not respond, which I'm a bit disappointed in the Luis Enrique point of view because he didn't look like he did enough to influence that game. And... and so how apathic, apathic, apathetic, ap apathetic his players were. So we see what I love about this mm. is, but we mentioned Eric Roy, the, the breast manager before. Mm. His last job as a manager was 11 years ago. And in a weekend where we talked a lot about club and oh, Xavi and Mazzari. managers. <laughs> or not because, not because he didn't want to. I think yeah. he wanted to do other things. So he went a sports director. He was a TV mm. pundit. Uh, including with me. Uh, he oh. created a tournament for beach football. Mm -hmm. Is that beach football, you say? Wow. Um, things like that. And then he applied for this job. And I think Brest, in a way, deserves a lot of credit for thinking outside of the box, clearly, 11 years outside of the box, to give him the job when they had other managers applying who had a better career, in a way, or certainly more recently. But they saw in Eric Roy someone who is good tactically because he watched a lot of football. He's very good in man managing players. Is a really, really smart guy too. And they're third in the table and they completely deserve to be where they are. Top of the form table as mm, well. Yeah, in yeah. terms so of managing big personalities, did he learn that from being on the radio with you, Jules? TV, we were together. <laughs> TV? Mostly, okay. yeah. Maybe, yeah. What show did you do, Jules? We covered the Premier League together oh, for yeah? French television. Yeah, it was great. And you could see that he, the way he watched the game mm. was a bit special. But I don't think even him could have foreseen how successful it would be in, no. in this team. It's, a it's a still a small team. And by the way, they go back to the Parc de Prince in two weeks' time to play PSG or 10 days' time to, to play them in the Cup. So Ooh, that should be interesting. The, I'll the, say. the second, yeah. Okay. And while all that was happening, Nice closed the gap uh, on the leaders to, as I mentioned, six points with their 1-0 win over Mets on Saturday. Guess who they'll be playing next week? PSG? Uh, no. Breast. Breast, that's it. Second, second and round third. Second yeah. and third. Mm -hmm. Which way round nice. is it, though? It's breast knees. <laughs> <laughs> but if you look no. at the table, it's PSG nice breast. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Marseille and Monaco played. One of the biggest games for Marseille this weekend. It was big and they were disappointing in a yeah. way because they drew 2-2 when Monaco went down to 10 men after 11 minutes. A really harsh... Red card. That, that referee is a terrible, one of the worst we've had. I don't know why they picked him for such a big game and a big derby as well. And even playing 11 against 10 for 80-odd minutes, Marseille couldn't win. And it's not like they haven't had the practice. Producer Charlie coming up with the stat that they have spent more time playing with a man advantage than any other team in Liga this season. Yeah. But they've only won one of the four games in which they've had that advantage. Yeah, and Reno Gattuso saying he was not too angry, to be fair. He said, like, I, I can't have asked more for my players, what about asking them to win, maybe? The Virginia miss at the end. Virginia, yeah, and Virginia is a very interesting one because they're trying to sell him. He might go to Genoa on loan with mm. an option to buy or obligation to buy. The, the most expensive ever Marseille signing, 32 million bonus included from Braga, who just never clicked. And I think there's a player there, but for some reason it's there. And as we know, it's a difficult environment mm. in Marseille. Virginia doesn't fit in yeah. Doesn't Virginia, yeah. and he's obviously bad Virginia because good Virginia in Paris right. is doing much better. Mm. Um, so yeah, he had the chance to win it 
Good save, though. He did it. Yeah, 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 good save. Good save. Really, really good save. And, and for Monaco and Adi Hutto, who's been a bit under pressure mm. in everything that's happening within the club, selling all of that, that's a, that's a good draw because they even finished the game with nine men because Zakaria was also sent off. But with Sam Benye there, we talked about him a lot before. What a player. Even at that age, off contract in the summer, scores one, assists the other one. It's just a lovely, lovely player. How are Monaco doing in their search for a new owner? We don't know much more. I think they're still uh, the rain group. The bank that sold uh, is very usually involved in those those kind of stuff. Is doing the all the preparation work and everything. So we should know a bit more, like in the next six months or so. All right. Anything else from Liga, Jules? Yeah, just a shout out to Ayub Buadi, who has 16 and 188 days became the uh, the youngest player to start in the French top flight since Basil Boli in '83. Only the third player born in 2007 to play in the V5 league. The other two being Lamine Yamal and Pau Kubasi at Barcelona. Good God. And he got sent off. Ah. Bless him. Yeah, towards the end. So he became the youngest player to be sent off. He got back-to-back yellow cards in the space of like five minutes or so. <laughs> he's a very he's a he's a eager. He's, yeah, and he's a genuine wonder kid. I mean, yeah. he's outstanding. Where he's does he play? What defensive midfielder, like a six or an eight. For who? For Lille. Oh, Sorry. Okay. Yeah, Lille. And they drew nil nil away at Montpellier. Uh, and it's a shame because it was such a big... Clearly, it was a big game. And mm. he, he did okay until the red card. And that red card will forever be, obviously, remembered as the youngest ever player, I think, to be sent off in the French top flight. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. one of the quickest... Else. No, 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 not the quickest because he got sent off just before the break. So he still had 45 minutes. He spoiled the party a little bit when you're 16 and making your pro debut. But yeah. I'm sure he'll learn from it. All right, Jules. Well, very shortly, we'll catch up with our pal Raphael Honigstein. He's got a moment of the week for us and he's got a lot to talk about Klopp and what happened to Bayer this weekend and the Bundesliga title race. Before that, though, the Totally Football Show is sponsored by Google Pixel. And Nice this weekend managed to close the gap on leaders PSG. Nice, of course, uh, were the home of Ross Barkley last season who Kiva O'Neill has made the subject of the latest Beyond the Frame. Beyond the Frame with Google Pixel. Everything you're about to hear has been recorded using Google Pixel's Audio Magic Eraser tool. That means that instead of our journalists' audio being drowned out by the crowd, the audio sounds just the way the journalist you're about to hear wants you to. You'll hear them loud and clear thanks to Audio Magic Eraser removing distracting sounds in Beyond the Frame. Requires Google Photos app. May not work on all images or all audio elements. A moment missed from today's game will be the performance of Ross Barkley yet again. Pulling strings in the midfield for Luton. He's been a vital signing when he joined the club last summer. He's been incredible in the Premier League. Slowly but surely, he's got up to probably his best form in a long time and he's a player who is very important to this Luton team and someone they're really going to need going into these final months of the season. It wasn't the warmest reception for him at Goodison Park, but yeah, he put in another one of those senior displays, one of experience, and it really helped Luton. He wasn't actually on the pitch when he scored the winner, but he was on it after full time and looked pretty happy with um, you know what Luton had managed to do because I think as well it felt like a an important psychological boost over Everton who of course they're battling down at the bottom of the table so yeah Everton out of the FA Cup Luton's through and Ross Barkley again one of the key players for Luton Beyond the Frame with Google Pixel OK time to catch up with our buddy Raphael Honigstein he's on his way to Austria 
He travels. He gets again? around. No, no, no skiing. Work. Okay. Football needs him. Yeah. And Rafa sure. is there. Uh, but first, he's with us. Here he is now. Hey, Rafa. Rafa, let's begin with what is your moment of the week? Well, James, uh, there were so many big moments this weekend, on and off the pitch, as it were. Mm. But in terms of the overall importance, I think it might be the challenge on Jeremy Frimpong by Florian Neuhaus of Borussia Mönchengladbach. Frimpong threw on goal and Neuhaus, who you don't have down as the fastest player in the world, certainly not when it comes to keeping up with Frimpong, makes up the ground and puts in a challenge that denies Frimpong and Leverkusen the goal. And it turns out that Leverkusen only draw nil-nil. And that might well be the challenge that ultimately not decides, but has a big, big influence on the outcome of the title race in Germany. Mm, reopening, perhaps, the battle between uh, Bayer and Bayern. Bayern, who moved to just two points behind Xavi Alonso's side. Of course, this happening just 24 hours after the Jurgen Klopp announcement on Merseyside, which I imagine fueled all sorts of speculation there in Germany. Yeah, I mean, speculation about Xabi Alonso's future has been uh, ripe now for a couple of uh, months at, at the least because he's so highly regarded. Uh, there's been talk about him, of course, going to Real Madrid, but Carlo Ancelotti has renewed his contract. Uh, Bayern keeps on getting linked with him in case Thomas Tuchel decides to leave or Bayern decide to part company with Tuchel. And, of course, Liverpool, the third club he played for, very successfully, uh, just an obvious destination. And I think that Alonso will be at the very top of the list because he can do things that very few candidates are able to to do, which is to combine the clear expertise that he's shown already uh, as a coach with the kind of charisma and personality that I think you need if you are to be successful at a place like Liverpool. And that's why I think uh, Leverkusen will do really, really well to hold on to him. Mm. What are the assumptions uh, in Germany about what Jurgen Klopp's going to be doing next? I think everyone feels that it's just a matter of time before he'll take over the German national team. Will it be straight after the Euros? Will it be next year? That still gives him enough time to play the qualifiers for the World Cup with Germany. I think there's um, a clear pathway emerging uh, for Klopp. The only problem, if you will, is that the German FA are trying not to make this too much of a topic before the Euros mm. because you still got Nagelsmann, of course, very much in charge and a danger that things might overshadow uh, that campaign. Um, so I guess the logical thing to do would be either announce it quite early, if indeed Klopp wants to do that, or, of course, try to pretend that this is not going on and not common. But I think the pressure on the FA to appoint Klopp or at least to you know start serious negotiations with him will be will be quite immense because the whole of Germany want Klopp to, to take over. Mm. Well, returning to the Bundesliga then, goalless for Bayer Leverkusen against Mönchengladbach despite having 28 shots, 20 of them off target, 69 touches as well in the Gladbach area, a record for a Bundesliga side, or at least since they started collecting that data. So, yeah, and just an unfortunate afternoon? Well, some people have tried to read a lot into it, saying that Leverkusen are now beginning to feel the pressure and maybe start worrying about slipping up in the title race. 
not playing with the same kind of freedom that we've seen before. But they struggled in the last two games and found a way, and we all hailed that as a, as a triumph. And they could have so easily found a goal. I don't think that Leverkusen and Xabi Alonso would be overly perturbed by by dropping a point uh, against Gladbach. That's the sort of thing that can happen. And of course, they can make amends for that quite soon because in 10 days' time, um, or just over 10 days' time, they're playing Bayern at home. And what uh, what will prove to be a hugely, hugely exciting game, I'm sure. Absolutely. Bayern Munich this weekend, after beating Union midweek in their game in hand, moving to just two points behind Bayer. With that 3-2 win against Augsburg, Harry Kane with the third goal. That's his 23rd in 19 Bundesliga matches. Am I right in saying he now needs 18 from the reigning 15 to break Lewandowski's record? Well, one that before Lewandowski had stood for, what, 40 years or so? Yeah, he needs 42 goals to break the record of Lewandowski, um, 41 to equal them. Okay, so it's 19 so from the remaining 15. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Uh, any notes on Bayern's performance? It was okay, I guess. Um, Bayern had huge problems at the back. They started with the back four of Davis, De Ligt, Eric Dyer and Guerrero on the right. So you'd expect him to have a few wobbles, uh, especially because the pitch was uh, quite wobbly. In the words of Leon Goretzka, um, not, not the sort of ground where you can play decent football. Mm. And Bayern also, again, gave away a couple of sloppy penalties. Manuel Neuer making immense for it by saving the first one, but then uh, Müller made a mistake to allow Augsburg in and, and a few nervy minutes towards the end. But yeah, ultimately sort of regulation, unglamorous, uh, box-ticked kind of performance. And and now that lead from Leverkusen just down to two points. Indeed. Also moving up in the Bundesliga are Borussia Dortmund, who got their third victory in a row. They defeated their rural rivals, Borkham 3-1 with a Fulkrug hat-trick. Two penalties in there. And with Stuttgart absolutely destroying RB Leipzig 5-2, that sees Dortmund moving past RB Leipzig into the top four again. And uh, that that 5-2 in Stuttgart, third versus fourth, former Brighton striker Dennis Undav continuing his exceptional form this season. Yeah, amazing. Amazing performance from him, from the whole Stuttgart team. Uh, of course, he caught the eye with that hat-trick. Um, good timing as well, because he's pushing for a place in the Germany squad, of course, for the Euros. Um, the more he can do that sort of thing, the the better his chances. But yeah, Stuttgart were, once again, um, really impressive. Leipzig, even when they're not quite at their best, which is the case at the moment, a uh, formidable opponent, tough to beat. Uh, and yet they made it look very, very easy. Um, goal of the game, probably though scored by Lois Openda. Uh, a really wonderful curled little effort. But Leipzig in a bit of a crisis, James. Uh, three straight defeats since the winter break. And of course, before that, they uh, drew against Bremen. So four games without a win. And that explains their dip in the table and uh, will make for a bit of an uncomfortable, I think, spell for Marco Rosa, who... 
up until now, I think had been probably ahead of expectations. But now maybe that uh, yeah, big loss of, of big characters that they've had to suffer uh, in the summer is beginning to catch up with them. All right then. Rafa, thank you so much for being with us. Afida Sane. Thank you, James. Ciao. Raphael Honigstein there. Good. Looking forward to seeing him again next week. Yeah. Yeah. Or will Splendid. he be in Germany or in don't know. Poland? I, I, no. Who can say? We don't know with him. We don't know. Uh, International man of mystery. Yes. Raphael Honigstein. Mm, That's right. Indeed. That wraps it up, though, for today's show, I believe. Many, many thanks to Rafa for that. To you, Jules, Alvaro, James, Rachel and Charlie in the booth. And you, listener, will be around if you want some more. Thursday, we're back talking about midweek Premier League stuff, which, yeah, that'll be fun. Mm. Join us for that. For now, though, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.